We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Hello listeners, and a warm welcome, in fact, probably even a hot welcome, as we record this on a baking hot 1st of July day, to the Highland Bullpen, your baseball podcast. I'm here with the Bullpen Bros as we look back on the last two weeks of action at MLB. We've had a little mid-season break, but we're back refreshed and raring to go. And we'll kick off, Alan, or throw the first pitch, I should say, with yourself and how have the Tigers been performing over these past two weeks? They've been performing very well, Richard. Fascinated about my limited baseball knowledge, not knowing that the Tigers weren't a great team or hadn't been a great team for a number of years. I felt, from what I was seeing, I thought they were doing reasonably okay. That was a poor start to the season, but I was encouraged with the young guys, Scooble and Mize coming in the pitching, and then they had Matt Manning, another rookie coming in pitching as well. Injuries there to Spencer Turnbull, Matt Boyd, Michael Fulmer. So they, they have struggled in the, I suppose, their experience starting the rotation. But I thought they were doing well. So the exciting news, I think, for the Tigers, June was another winning month for the Tigers. And that was their second consecutive winning month this season, which is the first time since 2016 uh, that the Tigers have had consecutive winning months. Uh, so a, a winning month. I guess our novice listeners might be thinking, what, what do you mean by a winning month? And it's as simple as when you're when you're playing 25, 30 games in a month, what are your total scores there? What's exciting, and we will, if we look ahead to July, we start with a series against the White Sox. But after the White Sox, every team we play in July currently has a worse record than the Tigers. So I don't know when we last had three winning months, but uh, if you're a gambling man, I guess you'd be having to say it's likely to be coming up uh, in July 2021. So uh, it's uh, it's good times for the Tigers. I think a lot of a lot of people will be seeing AJ Hinch working his bit of magic with the Tigers as well. Just changing a team that was struggling basically into a winning team. Miggy Cabrera seems to have got back on form a wee bit. Uh, obviously, we're excited that our man, Daz Cameron, stayed with the team. He, w- he, he was for a while the highest OPS percentage of any Tigers player, uh, which seems quite hard to sort of <laughs> uh, believe. A young lad who was struggling, he's, he's not had a hit, I think, in his last couple of games, but uh, winning RBI at the, the, the Angels' Angels, um, three home runs, a uh, decent number of hits and, and and over 50 plate appearances now this season as well. So, yeah, not quite establishing himself as, as a regular there. Hinch seems to have a bit of rotation going on, but delighted to see him playing regularly. His fielding is fantastic. Yeah, I'm feeling good about the Tigers. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to the playoffs. We were never going to the playoffs, but uh, things are on the up. I know, I totally agree, Alan. And I guess to use a football analogy, as you say, you've actually come out of the previous month of June with a, a winning record against some really kind of tough opposition. And I guess if this was the English Premiership and you were Manchester United or, or Liverpool or Manchester City, the games you've got coming up are maybe against the, the Southamptons or, you know, the kind of the, the lower, the Bournemouth, you know, the lower, yeah. lower ends of the division where you'd really hope to pick up. Uh, some more wins as well. And, yeah. and actually, with the exception, and I apologise for this, Dave Jr., of your White Sox, all three of the rest of our teams, the Red Sox, the Mariners and the Tigers, are the form teams in the American League at the moment. As the last yeah. 10 games as we speak just now, where all our teams all have seven and three records. From a Mariners perspective, that that's obviously great to be in that kind of form. 
We're also kind of hitting a unique number in terms of extra innings games. The Mariners have played 10 of those as we speak so far this MLB season and are 9 and 1 in games that go to extra innings, which are pretty extraordinary, a pretty extraordinary return, to be honest with you. Uh, the, the latest of those was just the other night against the Toronto Blue Jays, where we were 9 7. Uh, Dylan Moore was a probably our, stand, our standout performer in that game as well. But yeah, for some reason, when it gets down to those those extra innings, and obviously the, the rule changes mean they're slightly different than they have been in years going by. But Seattle just seemed to, to crush it. And, you know, this, this latest one there, Dylan Moore really come into form as well. He's made some changes to his. The kick, which he generally starts off with, I think it's kind of shortened that a little bit. And I think he feels that's kind of helped him getting the bat on ball more often. So, yeah, good times for the Mariners as well. We're above 300, above 500, sorry, we're three games above 500 as we speak just now. Yeah, and we just seem to have found that form. We're getting the runs on the board that maybe we have struggled a little bit with earlier this season. And things are looking up, Alan, and I know you're kind of yeah. playing down the Tigers' chances of getting into the playoff mix, but... Certainly for the Mariners, I think if this can continue, and we're now almost exactly in the halfway point of this year's season, the 2021 season, yeah, we're not giving up on our playoff aspirations just yet, I think. so. Good, good to hear that. The 9-1, and one, it's interesting that as well, because in, in my simple mind, because of the, the runner on second base, you've got to think that that's an element of good management. Yeah, yeah, Alan. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure what it is. I mean, I, I totally agree with you that there's no way that you don't end up getting percentages like that unless there's a, a, something to it. That's not mere chance. But yeah, what it is, I'm not quite sure. But certainly long may it continue yeah. from a Seattle perspective as well. Obviously, apart from the heroics from Dylan Moore, with a bit of, bit of uh, my own team's involved in one of the scandals of the last couple of weeks as well with Hector Santiago currently appealing a 10-game suspension for allegedly, and I'd like to make that very clear, uh, using a foreign surface. uh, And and actually MLB has been for the last couple of weeks clamping down and trying to kind of started really strictly enforcing the rules round about equipment and just to make sure nothing untoward is happening. But Hector Santiago allegedly had a foreign, foreign substance on the inside of his glove as well, or not on his glove, sorry, as well. So, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. So a little black mark against the Mariners, but generally a very positive couple of weeks. And and for, and for the Red Sox, Yorkshire, Dave, Boston, as I say, likewise, seven and three in the last 10 games, playing as we speak just now. But you must be pretty happy then at the form that, that the boys from Fenway are showing at the moment. Yeah, it's um, who'd have thunk it, as um, you might say, at the start of the season, they're, you know, exactly halfway through in terms of games played and um, the first team in the American League to hit 50 wins. So they are exactly on target for 100 wins, although, you know, can repeat the same success story in the second half of the season? Well, you know... Why not? There seem to be a really good spirit in there. They're, you know, it's two weeks since we've, we've spoke, so I feel as though I need to mention the Tampa Bay series, which um, they actually lost 2-1, and um, Tampa Bay were top of the division, I think with Boston half a game, half a game back. And then the Yankees came to town. The, uh, the Red Sox swept them 3-0, three, three and that's the second three-game series sweep this season so six in a row seven games in a row if you include the last game of last season which I do (laughs) and uh, you know they're currently doing very well against the Kansas City Royals they've won the last three in this um, uh, I think they're seven seven nil up in the bottom of the fifth as we speak so this could be a thing I don't think they've won a four game swept a four game series but looking very good and they're finding games to win. They score a lot of runs. I think over 400 runs is only the phenomenal Houston Astros in the American League who've scored more runs. But they do concede a lot of runs, Boston. And I think their starting pitchers recently have given up quite a few runs. But looking at some of the reports, 
then it's the the bats and the bullpen who are really keeping it going for the Red Sox at the at the moment. Although the the, the, the starting pitching's you know not bad, uh, obviously, but um, they've got the run support, and uh, of course we all know the quality of a good bullpen that we had. Absolutely, that always makes all the difference. Yorkshire Dave, you can't beat the quality, the quality in the bullpen. And obviously, Yorkshire Dave, you were fairly, fairly low-key in your ambitions for this season. Back at the start of the season for the Red Sox there. When do you dare to dream? When do you start to think, you know what, we've got 50 wins on the board already. We're on course for a 100-win season. Why can't we go all the way this year? Or is it too early to have a jinx to you? Well, uh, you know, obviously there is a, a long way to go in the, this season, isn't there? And in, they're in a very strong division. But they're two or three games ahead of Tampa Bay, but I think, you know, a few games outstanding, if you like. Likewise with, the, you know, the, the Yankees and, and the Blue Jays, seven or eight games back. And that can evaporate pretty quickly, especially I think we've got, you know, the, the Yankees coming up again in a four and a three game series very quickly so that if you look at the odds just just now for um who's going to win you know the the Yankees are still quite well fancied to to get to make the playoffs and you know possibly be a contender um but the, I'm happy you've got even got um talking of starting pitches you've you've got been keeping an eye on the progress of uh, Chris Sale who's coming back from Tommy John surgery. He's been uh, throwing a lot in practice. And uh, the, the last I saw was that he may uh, go down to, he's, he's practicing and he may go to double A AA or triple A. I think it used to be poor Tucket, but it's now, I think, Worcester, the Woo Sox, as they, mm. as they uh, refer to them, who are the triple A team and Portland, the double A. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you don't want to, get too ahead of yourself in terms of Chris Hale. But if he was to come back in, you know, late August, early September, and the team was still competitive, then that's going to be, that's going to be huge, really important for if they did make the playoffs. Absolutely. He would definitely put some wind in your sails, so to speak, going towards <laughs> the, the latter half, half of the season there. Yorkshire Dave as well. And we should obviously, as I say, we're back after our own mini mid-season break but obviously this episode will cover uh, by the time the next episode comes out the 4th of July will have happened so we hope all of our listeners and all of our American friends everywhere enjoy a fantastic 4th of July and one day later baseball will return to having full capacity at every single major league baseball stadium so baseball will be back in every way fans back again helping make a fantastic sport even better so these are these are good times and we're really looking forward to seeing what that second half of the season and the full crowds as well how's that going to impact upon the the tigers and the red Sox over the, i know obviously you've had fans back for a while but in general can we look to see teams suddenly starting to assemble better home records in the second half of the season now that they've got that full support behind them Definitely a factor with Boston, I think, although I've not you know, studied the results, but um, I'm pretty sure that their away record early on was much better than their record at Fenway. And I think they normally do pretty well at Fenway. I mean, teams tend to build their team around the configurations of their own stadium, don't they? But the fans make a big difference. And they're very vociferous fans, the Red Sox, like the Yankees, they get behind the team. They possibly get on top of the team as well, which might not help very quickly. But I, I think, you know, you've seen some pretty close games that have swung the way of Boston. And some of the pitchers have, uh, have gone on record as saying, you know, that was down to the, the fans brought it today. So, yeah, I think it makes a big, a big difference. And if they can continue good away form and improve the form at Fenway, yeah, it's all looking good. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yorkshire Day, that was how it started off. That way record was much better. They're now almost at parity. I think they're kind of plus 10 home and away. Yeah. Uh, and I expect to see that balance continue to shift in the second half of the season as well. For the Tigers, Alan there in Michigan, what, what difference or what role do the fans have to play in the second half of your season? Because they've, they've 
they're not currently a winning team despite the last couple of months. They've not been managing to sell out the capacities they've been allowed. Uh, and, and I think that's that's not uncommon, I guess, for the, the teams that struggle. Uh, I don't know if there's still reticence from people in actually going to, to full stadiums. Uh, Dave made a really good point, which we don't think about an awful lot, or we don't understand maybe as football fans, but building your team around the, the ballpark you're in. Uh, Miggy Cabrera, who's, I think he's six shy of 500 home runs now. The, the feeling is if he was playing for most teams other than the Tigers, he'd be well over his 500 home runs because the uh, Comerica Park is a fairly big ballpark. That just makes a home run harder uh, than, than some of the ones with smaller uh, smaller ballparks and, and perhaps easier angles to get the ball out at the right point as well. So I'd, I'd love to go to a game, a baseball game, with a really big crowd. We did that, obviously, two years ago recently, the the London series. Sadly, when I think about it, most of the baseball games I've been to in fairly small crowds, other than maybe the Dodgers game I went to. Yeah, it's, I know. I, I get that, Alan. I guess that's why, as well, historically, some of the baseball stadia suited left-handers, for example, you know, just you know, different configurations in different places that certain baseball stadiums can suit you. If you're, you're right-handed or left-handed, it might suit you for the, the shortest, you know, the shortest distance yeah. to, to the yeah, wall. The, there's a very famous, uh, the, the house that Ruth built is supposed to be the, the very first sort of Yankee stadium and such, and they have uh, the, the infamous or the famous short porch in uh, right field. So, yeah, that was, uh, you know, not not a, not an accident uh, that it was there for the the lefty Babe Ruth and uh, quite regularly stick one <laughs> over the short porch in right. And I think it's still basically the same configuration, isn't it? You know, I have a feeling that this would need to be checked. But I've had a feeling that it may be below the actual sort of MLB requirements, but it's that much um, ingrained into the history of the game that it's accepted. But I think it's less than 300 feet. It's got similar in uh, uh, Fenway as well, the pesky the pesky pole. Um, I think it's something like 304 feet. Um, but that's very strange because it bends around, so it's, it's quite difficult to, to get a, a home run there unless you hit the pole like... Uh, Mr. Pesky did one time, apparently. Oh, absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned that because I remember we went to that London series, Alan, two years ago, the Yankees and the Red Sox, and what a fabulous occasion it was. I remember reading afterwards because there was speculation that the distances might have been close, as you say, Yorkshire Dave, to being under the requirements. But what I discovered was that it wasn't that they were under, but there was a much of it, much more than usual was right on, there was loads of, of short walls, if you like, because of the way it was set up. So yeah. other baseball stadium might have a 310 foot, 305 foot, but only maybe 10% of your total wall is those kind of distances, and you'll have 360s, 370s, potentially. I think because of the unique nature they had to do for that stadium, uh, I think there was a lot of hittable areas and that was why we got to enjoy so many home runs and some great batting and some fairly mediocre pitching. So they all came together, I think, <laughs> on that run-laden London series. Dave, tell us a wee bit about the White Sox this week. Thanks, guys. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm suffering a little bit, so you will need to excuse the voice. Um, but yeah, it feels a while since we've done one of these after um, our little excursions in the last few weeks, which has been it's been great, a little... Uh, return to norm, but again, you, you can fall uh, out with what you get used to scheduling over the last few weeks. Uh, so for the White Sox, um, yeah, we had a bit of a patchy last few weeks, but I'm trying to be a bit silver lining about it. Um, the Astros really handed us a lesson that their place and kind of swept us from memory, although I've tried to uh, remove it from all thoughts in my head. Uh, I'm pretty sure they, they swept us 4 0. Then we had a bit of a um, we went to Pittsburgh hoping that that would be a good time to, to pick up a couple of games in the road against a weaker opponent. And we, we only came away tying that one each. Uh, and then you know, Richard's resurgent Mariners came to, to Chicago, which was meant to be the start of 
uh, one of these is it the home stand uh, a right good few home games in a row and that was the, the reopening day as it was called, just with being able to get full capacity in the ground. Yeah, and the Mariners, again, been playing really well recently. And they, they won that series against us as well, which is just kind of picking up that last game in the series. Yeah, thankfully, <laughs> uh, in the last few days, what's happened, um, there's been a good bit of talk around these games with Minnesota. And it's, I, I know it might be something that we speak about over the next few weeks. But with, with so many games, I think seven coming up against Minnesota, although the first in the series it was postponed, it was a really good chance to knock them out of the title picture for the American League Central. Uh, and the big thing about that, which I've came to realise, is you know, it's not like um, in Scotland or, or, or with European football, where if you are a poor team, you might be trying to fight relegation. If you're out of the, the picture come the halfway point, come the all-star break, and again, that's that's a topic for later. Um, you, know, you don't have to fear relegation. You can start to look to rebuild early. And what these teams will then do is perhaps some of their superstar players, which might be coming to the end of their contract, uh, or getting on in age, you could be looking at a team top of the table in another division, could look to bolster their own squad and bring that player in. Uh, and as the, the poorer team losing that better player, you could look to bring in one or two players as a trade. So an example of that would be if the, the White Sox could knock the, the Twins out of the title contention. You could look to try and snaffle up one of their uh, one of their top players that can that can really add to the White Sox push for the World Series over the next few months, and in return. That the Twins could potentially pick up one or two really budding hot prospects. So it, you know, it's win-win. You know, it, it must make things really quite exciting uh, throughout the season for all team all teams concerned. Because you know the Twins, if they if they come out of sorry if they come out of the the All Star break you know, 12, 15, 20 games behind the league leaders, whoever they are, then you know the season's just about a write off, and you, you look to try and build for the future. So it's, it's a really interesting way that, that these things can progress. We as Scots don't have all that much to, to celebrate. Our team played at the European Championships, performed creditably against England, which of course always is what really matters to us Scots. Uh, but unfortunately, they've been sent home. We do, however have not just a European champion, but a world champion to celebrate and the, the world's strongest man, a gentleman called Tom Stoltman, who I think from Invergordon, crowned the world's strongest man, beating his brother as well. He's obviously been eating his porridge over the years, as we all know, that's guaranteed to give you strength. But I noticed, Alan, that he, he shares uh, uh, an affiliation that you do yourself, I believe, that the world's strongest man might be a fan of Scotland's most successful football team. Thank you for pointing that out, and thank you for your last comment there, Richard, as well. Uh, I have actually seen Tom. Dave knows this bar well, the Mallard in Dingwall, and he was sat in the bar having a few drinks pre uh, Rangers Ross County game. Mightily impressed that they found a Rangers shirt that would fit the guy. <laughs> he he is a big lad. Uh, and when you look at he, he looked such a happy chap as well. He was enjoying himself, a smile on his face. Um, I guess he's got a fairly strict training regime. Uh, he, he was out there to have, have a good time. Yeah, he's a Rangers man. He's a Highlander, which makes us e- equally proud as well. So it's good to see that the Highlands being well represented. It, it's relevant to us in the baseball world as well, because I think we might have mentioned before Dave Jr., mentioned the spider tax that the pitchers um, are potentially using was, I believe, invented for these strongman competitions. So you know the one where they get the big, we'll call it a ball, but it's basically a massive rock that's been smoothed into a ball shape. They use the spider tack for gripping these things, which is fairly essential. I don't think it gives them much of an advantage because you've got to be a big, strong lad or lassie uh, to be able to carry these things. So well, well done to Tom. Great to see a Scotsman being a world champion. Hero of the week because there's a tenuous baseball connection there, I think. Oh, well, well deserved. Well done, Tom. We might be able to set Tom a challenge, actually, because 
Hamish the Highland Cow or show mascot. I don't want to mention it, but Hamish has piled on some weight during lockdown. So maybe we'll see if Tom could lift, could heft our heifer at some point. Maybe that would be a great challenge for the newly crowned world's strongest man. Yeah, Yorkshire Dave, are you a fan of strongman competitions? I've got a soft spot myself for very big fellas, like trying to pull buses along or trying to carry three milk churns at one time and stuff. I do like a bit of that. Going back to sort of Jeff Capes' day, didn't he get involved in that that kind of thing? But uh, these guys, you know, they're just not from the same mould as... As you are, they're just incredible. But I was impressed when I saw that thing that Tom, I mean, he's not a normal guy in as much as, you know, he's he's, just, he's huge, but he doesn't look ridiculously out of proportion, does he? Nope. Like some bodybuilders or guys like that, you know, he, uh, he certainly wouldn't want to get into an arm wrestling contest with him, I don't, I don't think. And uh, you probably find yourself agreeing with most of the things he said, but. Yeah, quite a young chap, isn't he? Yeah, he, he found it surprisingly easy to get to the front of the bar in a busy mallard. I'm amazed there's much room for anyone else, to be honest <laughs> with you, Alia. I like the way as well, Alan, you said that he's obviously got a very strict training regimen. I would point out that generally, if any athlete encounters any of the bullpen bros anywhere, it probably means they're not following a regular training regime because <laughs> it's more likely they're not going to be in a bar or something similar. But yeah, no, that sounds like a very nice chance encounter. And as you say, the Highland bullpen, very proud of our, our exceptionally strong Highlander. Dave, I know you're a fan of the strongman stuff. What's your thoughts on Tom and any other heroes catch your eye? He's just a, a big, lovely guy. He's really dedicated his life towards us in the last few years. He's done himself proud. He's just done so well. He's stuck to his craft. He's dedicated. And he's just a lovely, lovely guy. Uh, Probably another shout-out could be for his brother, who is also one of the world's strongest men as well. It must be terrible being one of the the strongest men in the world, literally in the top ten strongest men. Uh, And then they're not even the strongest in your house. And it's your brother. So I think it just, you know, these things and families can often good rooted but the, the two of them uh, are just absolute love with each other um, just absolute love there love and support I think it's, it's such a great way to be uh, my other sort of suggestion for heroes was my, my man Jose Abreu uh, if you're squeamish do not go and look at this clip on YouTube but um, he took a 96 mile per hour fastball to the kneecap um, and I'm not talking about the knee I'm not talking about a centimetre wide and talking absolute nightmare um, I'm sure there's been occasions happening baseball and likely cricket Dave over the years but this thing it, it didn't miss it, it was probably the worst possible point in his kneecap um, and for a man that I've seen knocked down the field before and uh, carry on in games he's just an absolute warrior he really is um, and he was rolling and rising around. Um, so I think the, the Mariners pitcher uh, that hit him, really, uh, I'll come on to Mariners pitching in a minute for villains. Um, he, uh, I think he, he must have been quite affected by that, by seeing what, you know, what his pitch had resulted in with, with a good guy. I think Jose is pretty well liked throughout the baseball world. Uh, not, not just fans, but players and other teams. So, um, no, it must take an emotional toll on a, on a pitcher as well. You know, completely unintentional. And he came out of the game. Um, but Jose, being Jose, uh, he had to leave the game, go and get scans. Uh, the next game, he was back. So the, the great news was uh, it was just bruised. But I mean, that looked awful. It really looked awful. So I think the next few games, Jose has been um, operating the DH just to give him that rest. Dave, Richard's already held his hands up to Santiago's ejection from the field the other day, but I believe you want to twist the knife a little bit on that, so over to you. My villain of the week would be Santiago, uh, a marvellous pitcher. So not the not the gent who, who beamed poor Jose, uh, but there's, there's been the recent rules coming into play around what pitchers can and can't do when it comes to substances, uh, which assist them uh, and how they pitch to the MLB's finest. So Santiago uh, was coming off 
the pitch on Sunday against the White Sox and the, the umpires, as they've been doing all week, and there's been a few hilarious things across the MLB. You've seen some pitchers having to drop their drawers uh, and umpires checking things out, making sure they're not carrying anything illegal in their glove and their, in their cap. But Santiago was nailed uh, for apparently having some sort of residue within his glove. Uh, I've got to say, he did look a little bit guilty in his face. The sort of incredulous what me look, uh, but um, the, the rush. So he was, you know, thrown out of the game there and then, and he's, he's the first person to be nailed by it. I don't think he'll be the last. And again, although he's my villain, um, I, I'm sure there's pictures up and down the country for all four of our teams that have done this over the years. Um, like any other sport, people are just pushing what's allowed to the limits and, and trying to to do the best for their team. So he he was ejected from the game. The glove was bagged and tagged and sent off to MLB headquarters to be checked. So he's been given a 10-game ten, ten ban since then. So the the picture's explanation is that it's some, from the, the rosin bag, I think that's how it's pronounced. You might see a little bag on the pitcher's mound. Uh, it's called the rosin, rosin bag. <coughs> I think it's some sort of pine residue. Uh, pitchers use that just to get a little bit more grip. Um, you know, with all the sweat that comes on your body during exerting yourself over that game and they really need to make sure that they can still keep control of the ball and so the excuse was that this residue that was within the glove was a mixture of sweat and rosin but I think it's just that claim has been tossed out <laughs> for poor Santiago uh, and he will he will now miss 10 games so it's interesting I'm not sure if it's <laughs> how do you say it's 10 games is it 10 games he would have pitched in you know, over 10 games if you're a starter you might have only started two of those, so it's almost like a two-game suspension. Uh, we're going to look into that a little bit more. Uh, he's my villain of the week. Alan, in the world of fantasy baseball, how have, how have we been performing against the best of the British baseball podcast competition? A wee bit of a struggle. I think I've alluded to this before. We were on a three-game losing streak. Uh, we managed to arrest that last week with a 5-5 draw. This week, we're up against our good friends, Ballcaps and Bagpipes, which is a Jason and John. Uh, so we would expect a, a good bit of Scottish knowledge and Scottish challenge from these guys. Give give them a listen. You'll know all about Jason. He's also got the, the Dugout Classics shop as well. Uh, fantastic guys. They've been on our show uh, very knowledgeable. Great to have them in the British baseball community. Jason set the league up. Um, we started off this week with a little bit of struggle, but amazingly, we had five games for our four bullpen teams last night, won them all, and have currently turned around the matchup uh, halfway through the week into a winning position. So let, let's see if we can carry that through. I have an admission to make, feeling slightly guilty. But obviously, I was delighted that I managed to get Daz Cameron into the team for a few weeks. Uh, he's had a few appearances. He's done. He scored us a few points. Um, I've gone for Miggy Cabrera back into the team. I think Miggy, so I've swapped him in for Daz. Uh, hopefully, he's still a Tiger, so it's within the boundaries and the parameters of our team. Uh, that we competitive urge again, and I think Miggy's... He's chasing the 500 home runs. He seems to be well managed just now in doing it. So I'm, I'm going to have him in there for a wee while, and I think he'll he'll do the business for us, and he'll back up the strong performances from all the other guys that we're getting just now as well. So th this is us coming back. This is us fighting back. Well, no, I'm sure we will, Alan. So I'm sure we'll be the comeback kings. And and nice to see you you're throwing sentiment aside. Alan, just to start concentrating, concentrating and getting some more W's on the board yeah. as well. So no, we we appreciate that, and your your continuing efforts in the coaching side there. Yourself and Yorkshire Dave are very much our, our wise men of the fantasy baseball. So um, hopefully we can bounce back this week and get back into the top six. Alan, uh, in the world of social media, what's been happening this weekend, and how can our listeners keep in regular contact? With us here in the bullpen. Yeah, we're, we're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, probably true to our age profile, we're not the most prolific of social media 
people out there, but please come and engage with us and we'll, we'll try and have a little bit of banter with you. Uh, one of the things I'd hope to start doing about a year ago when we did this was one thing we are good at is journaling, which probably isn't social media skill these days, is it? We, um, we, we, I know between all of us, we log various sporting events we go to and have notes on it. So just started a wee blog on that. I was lucky enough, thanks to uh, Yorkshire Dave, got three tickets for the Scotland-Croatia game. So the, the three Scottish guys in our contingent went along to the Croatia game. So it was my first game in about a year and a half or 460 odd days. So I penned a few words, put, put it on uh, WordPress on a wee blog. It's on social media. Uh, we'll, we'll try to do this as we go through that. We don't talk about the game. I wouldn't have talked about the game anyway. I mean, what, it's, it's, it's about the banter. It's about the experience. And it was, it was great to catch up with Richard and, and Dave Jr. We just like to put a wee bit of information out there. It's about the experience. Uh, so we'd be interested in any, any feedback. We enjoy the interaction we have with other folk in the baseball world and everything we're picking up and learning, even as we, we develop a reasonable bit of knowledge, but there's so much to take in here. And, and any time you scroll through the world of Twitter, there's something new and wonderful you learn or you pick up. Well, thanks for that, Alan. And really great to hear about that that stuff you're doing there with the, the grounds and so on as well, because you get incredible experience going to sporting events all over the world, as does Yorkshire Dave. And it's great that you've got the opportunity to, to kind of chronicle some of that. And I know it'll be a good read and I'd heartily recommend it to all of our Highland Bullpen listeners as well. And beyond that, Alan, I mean, I guess as we're much happening in the, the All-Star game coming up, what's the latest we've heard about that? I think I'm right in saying that by the time this comes out, the vote will have closed. So I did have a look yesterday. And uh, yeah, you're right. Today is the last day of voting in the second phase. And um, I, I haven't been voting purely for Boston Red Sox players, but four of the Boston Red Sox are, look like they could be in there. I think Alex Verdugo is having a, a great a great season, JD Martinez in the, um, the DH slot, Sander Bogarts, of course, shortstop, and um, Rafi Devers, uh, third baseman. So I think Altuve, who we've mentioned, was, you know, kind of wanted him to do well because he's getting a bit of stick. They're the Houston Astros, second baseman. He looks like, I think he's in first or second place. So, the announcement is... Um, Am I right in saying that the winners of the All-Star game, their championship winners then get the four-game home advantage in the World Series? Ooh. I would need to check that. Do you know that's something like... It does sound familiar, that, Alan, but, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't swear to it. It's... Uh, yeah, definitely worth checking. Yeah, and this season's Midsummer Classic is taking place, obviously, in, in Denver, or uh, the home of the Colorado Rockies there. Do we know much about the Colorado Rockies? Just given that it's their stadium that's hosting, I just wondered if either or if any of us here in the bullpen had much experience or any stories around about the Rockies. The only thing I think it is, I'm pretty sure it's a home run, friendly ballpark isn't it something to do with either the not the configurations of the ballpark necessarily but either the humidity or rarefied air or something a fantastic occasion as well i do there's there's something about it i think it's quite magical i know they're not the only i don't know if they are the only sport to do that actually but it's certainly something i really like just even even the name just all-star game i just think it sounds great it just sounds like something you'd like to be at I would imagine the other American sports do it. The, the NFL do something the week after the last playoff and the week before the, what's it called, the Super Bowl. So it's end of season as opposed to mid-season. And I know there's a winter classic in the NHL. I don't know if that's like an all-star thing or not. It, it's quite odd for us as British sports fans because I think these things tend to be considered 
more about showbiz rather than something serious. And and yes, it is showbiz, but American sport is is showbiz, but it's a much more serious occasion than we might actually be thinking. Mm. So uh, yeah, we have two separate leagues, don't we? So it does lend itself to something like that. The only the only thing I can think of similar is in. Um, a rugby league fan and in Australia they have something called the state of origin game which um, takes place between as the name would suggest players who are from um, Queensland and players who I think are from the, um, the Sydney area so that would be New South Wales so those are the two hotbeds of the sport and it's a best of three game and that is taken incredibly seriously. So, you know, it's almost bigger than uh, international sport because the Aussies are so um, successful at rugby league internationally you know, that, that the state of origin games are, are huge. I'm going to try to do something similar. You know, they used to have Yorkshire v Lancashire games in, uh, in the, <laughs> the rugby league world when I was a lad, but I don't think they ever quite took on the same same level but it's a good it's a good thing to have something different as i say nicely splits the season absolutely yeah i was just thinking actually i'm sorry just off the top of my head that state of origin idea is a really interesting one obviously america you know it's a 150 years on from nearly 160 since the civil war but there's still a sense of north and south there and I wonder how a how a baseball contest of that nature might work you know guys that are born you know south of the Mason-Dixon line against those those literal Yankees in this case yeah. north of it as well I wonder if that, that's quite an interesting idea that I don't know if there's any I don't know if I know obviously baseball's always welcomed a lot of people from you know some of the you know the Caribbean islands and other places as well but for those born in America I wonder if baseball players tend to come from south or north, or even west or east, and whether or whether it's an even fairly evenly split thing. But yeah, I'm just imagining that a kind of north and south, a kind of baseball uh, friendly civil battle, if you like. It's a fair question because I'm I'm assuming hockey players are more likely historically to be from the north because they must have more facilities, or maybe they don't have to have more facilities. If if yeah, if you go back a hundred years ago, I guess maybe twenty twenty one is a bit different, but um, but that then creates a history. So has it created a history for baseball as well? Well, baseball, like the rest of America, gradually spread west over the years as well. So yeah. obviously, the easternmost states have the longest history of having baseball, and presumably that means that a number of players kind of might be greater there because that's where it's been done for longer kind of thing. But the California seem obviously being the most populous state, but it also seems to punch above its weight in terms of baseball players in recent years. So I might do a bit of digging there, just yeah. to be quite interested in that kind of thing to find out if there's any I kind think, of patterns. I think baseball, you know, is played all over America and, you know, pretty much always has been. But the, you know, the franchises started off for whatever reason, in the East, didn't they? So, you know, the major league teams were were in the East and the sort of mid- Midwest Central. Uh, but you look at where the players come from, they do come from a surprising number of, of places where, you know, they obviously play little league, they play in high school and they play at college. And uh, now there's teams everywhere. But with their um, draft system, you don't necessarily go to your local team, do you, in the same way that uh, footballers or rugby players tend to do here. So when you do get a local guy with your team, you know, it's quite often quite special for um, for the fans. Dave, you followed the All-Star voting and the game a wee bit more closely than we have. Tell, tell us a wee bit about how our guys are going, who's going to feature. Let's kind of talk about the all-star team and uh, more specifically our players which made it through. So running through from uh, from the start, we had uh, Grandal, Abreu and Moncada make it through from the White Sox. Uh, all three of them failed to make a starting berth for the game on the 13th. Uh, they, yeah, 
managed to accrue some, some pretty good vote tallies, but I'm not sure what happens on the day. I'm sure they'll sit on the bench. <clears throat> and um, I don't know if they get innings, if they make some changes throughout the game, but uh, those three White Sox guys will, will be part of the occasion, I'm sure. The Red Sox, they had four, managed to make it through till final voting. Uh, Verdugo missed out in outfield, uh, and J.D. Martinez finished as a runner-up in the DH position to Otani, uh, who's the overall choice to be the DH for the American League. Uh, however, on the successful front, uh, Devers managed to be the choice at third base. He's having a, a great season. His home runs are really up there, just behind Otani. Uh, and Xavier Bogarts will also start in the shortstop position. Against uh, some great competition there. But it's, it's really good to have some uh, some team re- representation on the American League All-Star team. I think we'll all be excited to watch that. Uh, I think that there's a home run derby as well, which I've seen a couple of times over the years. Don't quite understand the rules. Uh, who can compete if you're allowed one from every team or if the MLB picks who's going to compete. But it seems to be, in the last few days, a drip feed of one one player from every team uh, randomly, uh, with air quotes, announces their intent to compete in the the home run derby. Uh, having seen this over the years, I think you've got a guy from their team pitches. I wouldn't say underarm, but I wouldn't say it's, you're not talking 100 miles per hour fastballs either. Uh, and he does it from behind a, a kind of safety guard, uh, and you effectively launch as many into the stands as you can get. Uh, and that seems to be a mini competition. Competition, maybe the day before the All Star game or, or the day of the game. It's a good one for kids to watch as well. It's a nice introduction to baseball, seeing someone absolutely tattoo a ball at outfield. So, no, it's, it's, it's some really exciting times coming up. Uh, the All-Star break, I'd imagine, historically represents getting about halfway through the season. My own White Sox, I think we're at 80, 80 games, maybe 81, which would be the, the halfway point. We're doing pretty well just now. Um, but it's a good chance for players to get a bit of a break. Not, not a great break by any means, but... Um, it's a nice chance to get some rest and relaxation. Maybe see some of the those, those better players in your team and your league all get together. It's something to strive towards to to represent your league and your team as best you can. Absolutely. Now, I'm as I say, I'm I'm planning to do some learning. I'm planning to get me some learning about the kind of geographical origins of baseball players and if any stakes are hot spots for the you know the current MLB rosters. But we always like to learn, and that's why we encourage our fans to ask about anything. And this week in our AAA Ask About Anything slot, we're going to be talking about the infield fly rule. Yeah, the infield fly rule, I'm sure we mentioned this right at the very beginning of one of our programs when it, you know, jokingly said... You know, trying to explain the infield fly rule is like asking someone to define the offside rule in in football. But um, it probably is a little bit more straightforward than you think. And as soon as uh, the ball is popped, it happened quite recently in a Red Sox game where the normally the, the umpire, probably the second base umpire, as soon as the ball is popped up, if you've got a man on, a runner on, say, first base, probably a runner on first and second base, and uh, less than less than two outs, then he he will call the infield fly rule, which as soon as he calls that, the batter the batter is automatically out. So this uh, prevents, it's supposed to prevent the defensive team from manufacturing a double play. So deliberately not catching the ball and then trying to perform a double play with one of the runners, uh, which, you know, might end the inning. What happened in the Red Sox game was he hit the ball really high in the air and quite deep so that it went beyond the running track of the diamond and it didn't look as though the uh, the umpire had called the infield fly rule and actually in an earlier play I can't remember who it was now but one of the outfields had dropped um, what looks normally like a routine catch I think there was quite a bit of a wind at Fenway 
and the infielder had to go to sort of shallow um, centre field to collect the ball, and he misjudged it, and he genuinely dropped it. It wasn't a deliberate try to set up a double play. The, it turned out that the umpire had called the, um, the infield fly rule, and you know that that took over. It, it caused quite a bit of debate. Um, that's not a. I don't think that's a definitive definition. But it's the best I can do off the top of my head. <laughs> Well, that was a more than creditable effort, to be honest, Yorkshire Dave. You covered all the, the main points of that. And yes, exactly. The reason it exists is to prevent double plays or triple plays being manufactured on pop-ups. So you're, you're quite right there. Well, anything more we have on, on, on the kind of learning element this week, guys? That was really good. But- we had another question this week. Why do neither the red socks or white socks wear red or white socks? <laughs> And uh, young Archie has got a very good observation there. And I remember going to my first Tigers White Sox game, and they were wearing black socks. And it just seemed um, that that it doesn't appeal to my nature. Such a wonderful, clever game uh, that that doesn't make sense to me. But the one thing I will say about the socks is one of you guys pointed out recently that at one stage we had matching socks because the winning losing record for both teams was exactly the same. So I love the fact they were matching socks. It can't be unusual. It's certainly not unique, but in reality, it's not going to happen that often because you, you're relying on them having played the same number of games and actually having the same wins and losses. They'll be close, but getting matching socks is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the kind of little quirks that we love here in the Highland bullpen. And we're approaching the, the final innings and the final outs of this week's return of the Highland bullpen. But just before but just before we go, we'll take a look ahead to, to who our teams have coming up, who they'll be facing over the coming weeks. And, and I'll probably kick off with, with Yorkshire Dave, whose socks are definitely red. And I also think as well, and on, on the stats side of things as well, Yorkshire Dave, there was another interesting little bit of history there for the Red Sox recently in terms of a certain result that they, they managed to get two games in a row. Yeah, there's, a, there's as we've discussed before, there's always something that seems to be happening in this fantastic game of, of baseball. He sent us a link to a website that analyzes the most common scores in, in baseball and puts it into a very pleasing graphic formats. Um, there, was a, there was a graph showing the distribution of team scores. Um, so something like 4.4 was the average score, but of course you don't um, score fractions of runs. The most frequent, I think, was three, and the sort of middle value was a four. They also had a graph with the 25 most common game scores with three, two, and four, three, being the top two, and uh, we we disc we discuss the favourites and the six five. My favourite was um, in in tenth place, and one run margins uh, tend to be most common. I think there was reasons for that, in as much as if you get a walk off win, even if it might be a double or a triple, they probably only count. The winning run, so the score would be six five instead of sort of eight five or or seven five, and also in close run games, as we said, the manager will be a bit more strategic about just you know playing the small ball and getting the one run win. But I, I was inspired by Dave sending us that, and I had a, a look. You'd be proud of me, Alan, because I made an attempt at doing a spreadsheet, so I put all the, all the uh, Boston scores in 6-5, incredibly, is the most common scoreline this season, seven times already, and uh, they've won five and, and lost twice. But as if that wasn't amazing enough, the Red Sox completed something that they've never achieved before in their long franchise history, and it, it happened over a two-game miniseries in Atlanta against the Braves uh, quite recently, the 17th of June, they rallied to beat the Braves by 10 runs to eight. It was quite an exciting game. It included 
a grand slam, Boston's first of the season by Christian Arroyo. And this meant that the Red Sox had completed a two-game sweep in Atlanta, as they'd, they'd also won the first game the previous evening by the same scoreline of 10-8. So this was the first time they recorded back-to-back wins by that unusual scoreline in their entire history. And you know, you've got the Oakland A's coming up this week and the Angels. How are you going to get on for the week ahead? The, the A's have um, had a pretty good season, didn't they? Go on some mad run of their own, winning about 13 straight games. So, you know, that's going to be tough. Um, the, the Angels, Angels, yeah. Away games, it's going to be difficult. And I, I'd like to see them at least splitting that those six games, perhaps, you know, picking up a 2-1 win here, and it, even if it meant getting a defeat. And then uh, because after the All-Stars break, you know, as I say, it's four games in the Bronx, three games away to Toronto, and then another four games. Am I reading this correctly? Four games against the Yankees at Fenway and four games against Toronto. Bloody hell. Pardon me. But yes, yeah, perhaps we need to follow this winning streak and get a few wins in Oakland and Los Angeles and and, and the Phillies at, uh, at Fenway. Yeah, some exciting contests coming up there. My own Mariners are also up against the Yankees this week, Yorkshire Dave as well, as well as Rangers, who obviously we're always looking to cherish wins against them more than any others. So it's a fairly interesting week coming up for my boys. I hope we continue our recent hot streak of form that our uh, 7-3, I say, last 10 games, our form's been good. And I'm confident if any of those games go to extra innings, I know who our money should be on. Alan, the, the Tigers there, you've got some interesting contests coming up this week as well. Yeah, we'll kick off with the, the White Sox. Um, we Yeah, we've struggled against the White Sox. There's a There's always a stat, but there's some crazy stat that we've had one or two wins in the last 14 or 15 games, which in baseball terms is not great. And we follow that up with a series where I will enjoy seeing Rangers getting beat. Richard, did you did you ever think I would be saying that to you on the podcast? The world turned upside down, Alan. The world turned upside down. I'll even call them the Arlington Rangers, as our friend Rob does <laughs> well. So, yeah, um, as I said at the top of the show, we're looking for a winning July. Uh, I don't know who's pitching the first game against the White Sox, which um, no, no doubt will have happened by the time most people have listened to this. But we've then got Mays at Scooble and Manning up. So uh, three effective rookies coming in. Um, the guys are, are doing well. Mays has got a winning record. Uh, Manning has picked up a win, a couple of defeats, and Scooble has four wins and seven defeats. But yeah, yeah, there are lots of strikeouts, these boys. They're doing well. Um, Another action-packed week coming up in MLB. As I say, we hope all our American friends have a fantastic 4th of July. We'll wrap up, guys, in honour of the Mariners and their extra inning success with an extra special 10th inning this week in which, if you can tell me in 30 seconds or less, which country is going to win Euro 2020 in 2021. We'll start off with Alan. Who's your money on for this glamorous soccer occasion? Football will return to normal. Um, we'll get back to low-scoring games and Italy will win the title. Well, Forza Italia from own family connections. I'd be happy enough to see that. Yorkshire, Dave, your boys are very much in the hunt. 56 years since you last lifted uh, a major international trophy in that famous day at Wembley in the summer of 66 and all that. Do you have a chance to make history with Gareth Southgate and his boys in 2021? Yeah, they've definitely got a good chance of getting to the final. Uh, my money is literally on Belgium. I do like Belgium. And, uh, yeah, I think you've got a point about Italy. But, you know, if I if I had to say who's going to win, um, I would put my money on Belgium. And it might just be against England. Although, you know what? Denmark, they look pretty pretty nifty. I think as a sort of an outside bet, 
Uh, mm. So I imagine my bets there. I daren't say England anyway because let's face it. You know, apart from what you mentioned fifty odd years ago, they haven't won a major trophy. So until they do, I'm not predicting anything. A fantastic tournament. I think lots of great games as well. And as I say, Yorkshire Dave's also our MVP in the Open for sorting us out with those Scotland-Croatia tickets, which left us with the opportunity to make memories for many a year to come. So for our listeners, have a fantastic week. It's been great to be back with the Bullpen. And we'll see you next week.